0: Please turn with me in your Bibles. And if you're using the Bible that's in the pew, it's on page 847, Mark 10, verses through through 45. This is in the wake of James and John with their outside voice asking if they could sit at Jesus' right hand and left hand. You know, you'd think, you may think that, but don't just say it, you know, that kind of thing. But they said it. So Jesus comes to this in verse 42. Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. For whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, give us grace to hear your word. Lord, to speak your word. Lord, to exalt your name to exalt your servanthood, to exalt your glory as the God who gave himself freely in Jesus Christ, that we might walk in that same joyful, sacrificial love for your glory and honor. Amen. So, kiddos, uh, three words. The first one's a little phrase, but building of love, building of love, and then simply... All, A L L, all. And then finally, the word mercy. Now, the New Testament teaches that there are two offices in the church. For instance, when Paul is addressing the Philippians, he addresses the saints, and then he addresses the elder or overseers, another word for elder, overseers and deacons. Then in 1 Timothy 3, when he's giving instructions for who should be qualified to serve as office in the church. He starts with the elders and then goes to the deacons. These represent two aspects of the church's ministry, two critical aspects, word and deed. It's tended to be the case that in the liberal church, they've dropped the word. They don't preach the word of God or regard it as the word of God, but devote themselves supposedly to doing good. Sadly, in some conservative churches and historically among conservative churches, there have been some that have held faithfully to the word uh, of God and yet neglected good works or deeds. One without the other is not the church. One without the other will send a church under God's judgment. We are word indeed church, and it's represented by these two offices of elder and deacon. Now, the word deacon is interesting because it's simply the word for servant in the New Testament. The word is diakonos, we call it the diaconate. But that's just a transliterated word from the Greek into the English. In this passage that we read from Mark, if we brought the Greek directly into English, it would read Whoever wishes to be great among you will be your deacon, will be your servant. Even the Son of Man came not so that others would be a deacon to him, but that he would be a deacon and give himself a ransom. For many. So we lose that meaning of the word deacon. It just becomes a word, uh, a sound of an office to us instead of what it really is. It means servant. And so the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the head deacon, as he indicates here. Even as our Lord, he came not to be served, but to serve. And that in the most radical way of giving his life as a ransom for many. He is the servant of all of us servants. He is the deacon of all us deacons. And so really every Christian is called to be a deacon because we are all called to be servants after the pattern of our Lord. So that we not only have a board of deacons, we are a church of deacons. Essential to following Christ is following him in his servanthood to be a deacon as he is a deacon. Particularly, as Christ indicates here, every leader, that is he who is great among you, as Christ puts it, elder or deacon or anyone else, women of the church, must be servant of all. We pick leaders only from among servants. So let's look at the passages that you see on the back of your bulletin. First, Ephesians 4 shows that the work of the leaders of the church is summarized by this one primary matter of preparing and training the congregation for ministry. That is diaconia. Okay, that's the word here. Ephesians 4. He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers for what? To equip the saints for the work of diaconus, of ministry. Wait, all this leadership is for this one thing? To equip the whole church? to be deacons, to be ministers to one another and to a lost world. And notice it is that work of deaconing. I'll keep using that to kind of drive that point home that builds the body of Christ up. And then when he gets to the end of this passage, he talks about how every joint which is being supplied by this ministry, this service, each part is working properly, that is all the church is serving in this way, what happens? The body grows and builds itself up in love. So servanthood and love are intertwined here equipping them to serve so that in this loving service, the church will be built up in love. It will become a building of love, a building of deacon servants. And so the whole church is a kind of diaconate. The whole work of pastoring and teaching is to equip saints to serve. And this Servanthood is basically love in action. And you can see in the next passage the interplay here as well. You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve. That's the other word Jesus used of slaves. Serve one another. So this passage teaches that serve is what love does. Through love, serve. With love as your heart and source, you serve one another. When love governs your lives, you will inevitably become servants of one another. Service is just practiced love, effective in action love. And of course, love sums up the whole of our duty, doesn't it? Jesus says, that's the whole of the Bible is love to God and love to one another. This servanthood then is at the root of all that we're to do for one another. And we can bring in as well synonyms like mercy and good works. Doing good to one another is the same as loving one another, which brings us to the Ephesians 2 passage We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can see here that doing good or love is the very purpose for which we're created in Christ, but it's a purpose that was planted before the world began. So, when God set His love on us before the foundation of the world, it included this plan that we would walk in good works from the beginning, before the foundation of the world. He drew you for this purpose. And of course, as He planned to save us, He planned to make us servants. What else would you expect if we're created? In Christ Jesus, in union with the one who came not to be served but to serve. We're created in union with the servant, which could be for no other purpose than that we would become servants like him. And it's this beautiful servanthood that is his workmanship. To create a congregation of servant deacons, of those who love one another and love a broken world, that is the workmanship of God. The art piece of God is your goodness to one another and to others. But you see, it's not only in God's election, you can see it's embedded in his election that we should do good, but in Christ's death itself in Titus too. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who's zealous for good works. He died in order to redeem us from lawlessness. And law, as we've already said, is summarized in love. To be lawless is to be loveless. And he redeems us from being loveless. He redeems us from being focused on ourselves. And he brings us into, uh, he he causes us to be his possession, to be intimate with him, to, to have his life and bear his life so that we are treasured, we have a treasured and intimate relationship with him And we, having his life, begin to exhibit his character. And so a people for his own possession is a people in his own likeness. Well, if we're in his likeness, brothers and sisters, we will have a zeal for doing good because Jesus has a zeal for doing good. He died to do, do us good. You see, there's redeem us from that life to bring us into intimacy so that we will go forth and be like him. That's the point of Christ's death for you. It's not a little add-on. It's the point of his election. It's the point of his death that you should walk in this goodness. And then look at the amazing promise of 2 Corinthians 9, 8, that God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times you may abound literally in all works. In every work it says here. So grace abounds to us so that we will abound in every good work. Grace flows and overflows into our lives and our lives flow and overflow in goodness to others. Grace abounds so that every member of Christ becomes a servant, deacon. And the word all is used five times, kids, five times, right? He's able to make all grace so that you'll have all sufficiency in all things at all times to do all good works. And Paul's just lumping one after another after another so that maybe we'll get it. I think God wants us to be abundant in doing good. (laughs) You get that point? And it's not just he wants to, but he's supplying us so that he chose us for this. He died to accomplish it. His grace is pouring out on the basis of his election and his death for us so that we can abound in these things. And that's why Paul can pray as he does in Colossians 1. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. That means that we're uh, acquainted, intimately acquainted with his will and, and his will becomes our desire. So the knowledge of his will, we love his will. And that's why we show spiritual wisdom and understanding because we're given up to the will of God. And this enables us to walk in a manner that's worthy of the Lord. That simply means our lives will look something like Jesus. Worthy means they will in some way match Jesus' life. And therefore, we'll be pleasing to him. And what what will this life look like? We'll bear fruit in every good work. We'll bear fruit. We'll do good. We'll love one another because that's what he did for us. And if we're conformed to his will, we'll love like he loved us. That's what pleases him for us to love as he has loved us. That's his great new commandment, love one another as I have loved you. And so the commands there that follow in Titus, you can see he'll say, be careful to devote themselves to good works. Learn to devote themselves to good work. And grow and, uh, yeah, devote yourself. Be careful to it and be ready for every good work. And, of course, we've seen he chose us for good works. Jesus died for good works earlier here in Titus. And on that basis, Paul is praying that we would walk in those works. He's redeemed us to be zealous for good. He's setting us free to do good. Let's walk in our new freedom. Christ has given us a new life. Let's live out our new life. That's the feel of the New Testament. Not you go out there and you do the right thing. I have transformed you and I began in eternity to transform you. My son died for you to transform you. Walk in your new life that I have provided for you in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is not an option. We've been saved from our sin. We've been saved for mercy and kindness and goodness. That's why James can say judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. It's not a little tack on to the Christian life. This is essential if you're on the road that leads to eternal life. Or as as Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, they shall obtain mercy. The merciful obtain mercy. You see, people who show no mercy indicate they are refusing the mercy and salvation of Christ. They don't need his mercy. They don't trust in his mercy. So his mercy has not affected them so that they now show mercy. Jesus, you know, spoke of the narrow way that leads to eternal life. Turns out all who are on that road are servants. Hear me. All who are on that road are servants because they've been rescued from themselves. They've been rescued from an ingrown life and are being rescued. It's not perfect. Oh, how far we all have to go. But it's happening. It's it's begun. We're growing in it. The church of Jesus Christ is a church of servants, or to use the New Testament word, a church of deacons. So the whole church is a church of deacons. And then just a few final words that we are led by a board. We're, we're, We're a church of deacon servants led by a board of deacon servants. So as Christ's radical servanthood in his death, it strikes the coin of Christianity. His sacrifice provides the resource for us, the character of our lives, the goal for the whole church. And so the board of deacons, which perhaps it'd be better for us to call the board of servants, follows the servant deacon, Jesus Christ, as the deacons lead in what amounts to a church of deacons. In this sense, there's no member of the church who's not really a deacon. And so deacons are servants leading the servants, servants for the servants, deacons of the deacons. They seek to cultivate mercy and servanthood in the congregation. They set the pace and create the initiative for servanthood, both within and without the congregation. They lead in servanthood, both by example and by helping to structure ministry for the church. They serve in part by helping the body to serve, helping servants find their place of service. They simply are not the only deacons in the church. And so the idea that we're electing the deacons so that they can serve instead of us, ay, yo, whoa. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. What a vision scripture gives for the office of deacon. It might be simplistic to say it is love, but it's not a bad summary. The office of deacon is like a formalized office of love, servanthood, and good deeds. Even in the areas of money and property, which the deacons oversee, the question presses how do we use these resources to love others? See, the diaconate is the concrete form of the church's love and good deeds. So the diaconate, I would say, is the board of those who do good, in a sense. Leading the congregation in good works, structuring the congregation for good works. Christ is our head deacon. And as he served us and gave himself up for us, we serve one another and we serve a broken world. Let us pray. Oh Lord Jesus. We exalt you, O servant deacon. We exalt you that even as the Son of Man, the exalted Son of Man in Daniel 7 who comes to receive the kingdom from the ancient of days, that glorious one, he did not come to be served, but to serve in the most radical way by laying down his life for his people. Oh, Lord, you call us to that servanthood. It is the way we were made to live as human beings. It's our dignity and glory as human beings to use our strength and our authority and our opportunities and our resources to serve one another, even as you have done the same for us. We don't really believe it very well, but that's our happiness That's our meaning and significance and satisfaction. It's our fulfillment as human beings made in the image of God. Oh, Lord, bless us. Bless us. Bless these men as they take up this mantle to lead us. Equip them and nourish them by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first, a few words about ordination. When we lay hands on these men, it's not a frivolous uh, isolated thing as though, well, that's just what the church does. But we view this as our acting on God's behalf and fulfilling God's will in setting these men apart. It is not only the symbol of God's giving His spirit, but we believe the actual Time in which God equips by his spirit, Paul spoke of Timothy receiving a gift through the laying on of hands and so humbly we say amazingly we say that God would use us in laying on the hands to be the very occasion which he equips these men with his spirit to do this work and brothers and sisters hopefully after What's been said this morning, you can see you might be sitting there thinking, gosh, I'm glad they didn't call me to do this because it's just huge. It goes beyond any of us, as does being a pastor, as does being an elder or any leader in the church. It's way beyond any of us. It's grace that has to abound toward us. It's grace that has to abound to these deacons. It's grace that has to, God's spirit that has to enable them to be these kinds of men, to give themselves to this kind of work. And so it's a recognition that we must have God's grace in our lives as leaders. And so the ordination service in which we'll pray for them and lay our hands upon them is that great sign of God setting them apart and God equipping them by, by his spirit to do this work of serving as deacons.